Thank you for joining us today at Our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in seven different locations. We hope that today's message encourages and empowers you on your spiritual journey and helps you grow deeper in your relationship with God. To learn more about Our Savior's Church and how you can get involved, you can visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Um, I, I do thank Pastor Eugene. You know, they're out for the weekend and, you know, he's kind of just handed me the keys to the church and said, take it for a ride, big boy. And I'm like, thank you, daddy. You know, so if I peel out every now and then or do a little donut, y'all don't say anything. Okay. That's between me and y'all. Um, if, if you notice one thing about Abraham, he was consistent all throughout the Bible. He made some mistakes, but he'd correct himself and he'd get back on course and move the ball down the field. Um, when you walk with someone in that kind of relationship, in a close relationship, you get to see a lot of things in their life. You notice a lot about them. Uh, you have to pace each other. When you're walking in a, in, a, in a race or you're walking in your family, like Chrissy and I walk together, you get to notice a lot of things. There's always somebody who walks a little faster than the other. I've been knowing Chrissy since the fifth grade. So I failed the fifth. She came in from the fourth. I met her, fell in love from there. Uh, and, and, and here we are 21 years later of, of marriage. And we've been walking together a very long time. And one thing about Chrissy is she is a fast walker. My bride, even though I'm 6'3", she is not uh, afraid to walk. And she will, she will pace me at times. And it's the same way in life. Sometimes I start to slow down. Things are looking rotchy around the house. Kevin, are you going to do this? Kevin, she pushes me to do some things. And there are other times where she gets a little high temper. I'm like, baby, chill out, baby. Just chill out. It's all going to be okay. Um, but, but we get to walk and we have conversations and I hear her, she comes home from work. I can see her face. I'm like, Oh, something went bad at work. Let's talk, baby. Well, the girl in the phlebotomy lab. And I'm like, okay, whatever, you know, we move on and I'll come home. Well, Pastor Myron, you know, said this and you hear those conversations, but we go we grow closer to one another in, in all of that. And I'm grateful that I have men in my life that do that too. Men that influence me, that God has blessed me with men that I get to walk with on a daily basis, men who call me up, men who call me out, men who improve me, and most importantly is the men who tell me no in my life. Everybody, everybody needs someone in this room who can tell them no. Um, I have a, a dear friend of mine, um, his name is Jared Moore, and um, I'm so grateful for this guy. He is one of those guys that paces me. He works in London, in the UK over there, and uh, before he left this week, he called me and said, hey, so what you doing? Nothing. He says, um, I'm just calling to thank you. I said, for what? He said, for making me slow down. I said, what, what do you mean? He says, he's gone for three weeks, away from his wife in London over there and his family, and while he's gone, he's just thinking about what he's got to do when he gets back. You only have so much time, you know, and so he's, man, I'm on a very rigid schedule and I set this times that I don't really need to be setting and I get home and I got today with this kid, today with this kid, and today with this kid, and last days with Sarah, and just there's really not a whole lot of spontaneity in my life. He says, and then I see you and, and you have, you walk a relaxed life. And I said, well, Jared, you don't understand. I, I don't have anything else to do. You know, I'm one of the guys. I ain't got nothing to do. What you doing today, Kevin? I don't know. You know, I ain't got nothing planned. And, and it's those kind of guys that make me say, Kevin, no, you need to have a plan. I didn't know I needed that until we shared the family calendar with Chrissy. This Google calendar. She said, do you have our calendar? I said, no. What calendar? Look at my calendar. There's not a single dot on my calendar. Deer season, squirrel season, birthday. 
And so she shares this family calendar with me, and I push the button, and I'm like, what's all of that? She's like, that's adulthood, Kevin. Those are the responsibilities of this house. I'm like, I didn't know this. I'm 45, and no one's ever shared this with me. So I'm grateful to have those kind of people in my life who do pace me and say, no, you do have to have some rigidity in your life. When you look at the Bible and you see all of the people who do have companionships in their lives, you see the guys of the Davids and the Jonathans, the Elijah and Elishas, the Pauls and the Timothys, the Ruths and the Naomis. And you see in the New Testament where Christ sent them out two by two because he knew that there were strength in numbers. He knew that one, if one began to fall away, the other could pull him back in, you know? Because look, we need people in our lives. You need people in your life. The blessing of life is companionship. The blessing in life is companionship. And Abraham and Lot had that relationship. Abraham took Lot under his wing. Lot's father died. And so Abraham takes him under his wing and says, you're going to be mine. You'll be, my, you'll be my son. Abraham wasn't just a blessed man. Abraham was a righteous man, but he was also a, just a good, good man. And here we go with Lot. And Lot had this incredible Example of a righteous uncle in his life. He was more than an uncle. He was a father. And Lot was able to walk with Abraham to see how he treated people, to see how he spoke to people, to see how people spoke to him, to see the integrity of a man behind closed doors. Because that's really where you get to see who a man really is, when it's just you and him behind closed doors. For Lot to hear about the time that God blessed Abraham. Can you imagine the conversation whenever they're talking and Lot's asking him, what was it like, Abraham, whenever God spoke to you and promised you these blessings? I mean, can you imagine hearing from God and then trying to tell a young Lot, man, it was incredible. You, you just can't even imagine what his voice sounded like, Lot. How Abraham had to navigate leaving his town. How he had to tell all of his servants we're leaving. To navigate the conversation with Sarai about, hey, we're going to be packing up everything. Where are we going? I don't know, baby, head in that direction. So to hear Lot knowing that, man, okay, so how did you navigate all of that? To hear Abraham say, God even changed my name. Went from Abram to Abraham. And I'm sure Lot's thinking, man, maybe I'll go from like Lot to Lotus or something, you know, just to man, what am I going to be? What's God going to call me? Just being in proximity to the father of faith. The, the, the proximity is what you need in life to be influenced by him, to get corrected by him. Pardon me. There was a time, it was about 13 years ago, I decided uh, I was gonna give up drinking. And it was a strange situation. We're walking through Walmart. It's me, Chrissy, and Caroline. Caroline's five. Walking through, and you get to the beer section. Caroline says, Dad, isn't that the beer you drink? You don't want to buy some? I think you're almost out. I kind of made my mind up that day. Am I going to drink for my kid? And it was a personal conviction, not for anybody else. It was for Kevin Lalonde only. And I was like, I'm, I'm not going to do that. So a couple of years go by. I'm in the yard. It's midsummer. Cutting the grass. Finish cutting the grass. Finish weed eating. It's hot. I decide to go in the house and I'm going to grab a good cold beer. I'm not even on staff at this time. 
get in my truck, crank my truck, grab my wallet, take off, go into the store, and it hits me. You better call Pastor you. Let him know you're going to have a beer. So call Pastor you. Man, I got it. What's going on? I said, man, just finished cutting the grass, Pastor you. It's been like three years since I had a beer. I think I'm going to grab me a beer. By this time, Matthew is on the scene, my little boy. And uh, we're on, I'm on my way over there. I'm like, I think I'm going to give me a beer, Pastor you. Man, I got it. Why don't you buy one for you and one for Matt? The power of knowing a man in your life is, is a powerful thing. And it, was, it has blessed me ever since. <clears throat> so we, we move on to Abraham. Abraham's listening to God. And God says, go. In Genesis 12, verse 4, we see this. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him and Lot with, with him. Here we see that Lot is traveling with Abraham in Egypt. And he gets to a place where he's going to spend a lot of time with his uncle. There'll be years in Egypt there traveling together. He sees Lot continue to bless his uncle. He sees the, how he negotiates with the people for the herds, for the people, how he's negotiating his whole life with his wife. And after years of being in Egypt, he's now pushed out of Egypt and they're on their way to Canaan. God continued to bless this righteous man. Even the bad decisions Abraham made in his life, God blessed him on the backside when, when he repented of them. Just incredible. When you go to Genesis 13, verses 2 through 5, it says, Now Abraham was very rich in livestock and silver and in gold. And he journeyed on from Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been pitched at the beginning between Bethel and I to the place where he made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord, and Lot, who went with him, also had flocks and herds and tents. And so we see in this verse that Abraham returning to the place where he pitched his first tent and built his first altar. He returns to a very sweet place in his life. It's an anchor in his life for him. And Lot sees this. Lot gets to see an uncle who is part of, of just this incredible ministry. Lot gets reminded of his uncle's Love for God, he gets to see that. He hears him call upon the Lord. It says here, and uh, Abraham called upon the name of the Lord. So Lot's witnessing all of this. Lot gets to see everything that this righteous uncle is doing and being influenced by him on a day-by-day -day basis as they're walking along. And after some time there and traveling and living together, we see the breakup. There's going to be a breakup between Uncle Abraham and Lot. They've both been blessed so much Listen to me. There's a blessing in this relationship. Lot thinks he's blessed by himself. Lot is not blessed because he is who he is. Lot is blessed because of his relationship with Abraham. Don't ever fool yourself to think you're good enough, I'm good enough, now I can leave this relationship. You're blessed by the relationship. And so now they're going to split up. Lot's going to go his way. Abraham's going to go his other. In verse uh, 13, 12 and 13, is going to say this. And Abram settled in the land of Canaan. I want you to say this after me. While Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. I want you to notice that the Bible is very purposeful. These two sentences were not in the Bible accidentally and they weren't connected by accident. They're very purposeful whenever they put that in there. Because when you see God putting Lot that he put his tent as far as Sodom. And then God tells you a little bit about Sodom. What's up with Sodom? They're wicked and great sinners against the Lord. 
So now we see two righteous men going opposite directions, literally and spiritually. We see Lot tented near Sodom and Abram and Canaan, and life goes on for both of them. They're both blessed as far as they think they are. We skip down a couple of verses to Genesis 13, 18, and we see this. A little while later, Abram moves his tent and came and settled among the oaks of Mamer, which are at Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. What you see is Abraham going back to the same life he was living before he was lot split. You see a man who's gone back into a place of worship. He goes right back into building altars as soon as they split. Life without Lot hasn't changed for Abraham. His love, his worship, his righteousness is not affected by zip codes. It's not affected by regions. None of that. Because Lot's a righteous man. He's a man of integrity. Some time goes by and a war breaks out. And the kings around are taken prisoners from Sodom. Genesis 14, 12 says this. And they also took Lot, the son of Abram's brother, read this with me, who was dwelling in Sodom. Now we get into some juicy parts of the Bible here. When you're like, man, why is that in there? Why does he have to, why does God always put those little things in there? God's not a gossiper. God's telling you truth right here, what's going on in this guy's life. In verse 13, 12 in the King James Version, it says, Lot initially pinched his tent toward Sodom. In verse 14, 12, it gets kind of juicy and he says, now he's dwelling in Sodom. Lot had an affinity for sin. It's just who he was. He is, it's as if he's got a sinful nature. Can anybody in here raise your hand and say, yes, we have a sinful nature? Anybody can agree with him? He went from being really close to sin to now dwelling in it. It just seems like after some time living near Sodom, it didn't seem like such a bad place, you know? How, how does this happen in a man's life? I think it probably started out where he and his wife were just outside of Sodom and long day, Chrissy came home, didn't cook anything. Well, I'm going to eat a bowl of cereal, I guess. Go look in the pantry, grabs a little bit of cereal, goes to the fridge, no, no milk. Dang it. Maybe Sodom's right there. Why don't you just go to Sodom and get a gallon of milk? All right, wasn't too bad. Walks in, walks into a little convenience store, grabs a gallon of milk, looks at it. It's not expired, beautiful. Not bad price, people were nice. Walks out, comes home and said, how was Sodom? It really wasn't a bad place. And it's not like everybody said it is. It really wasn't that bad. You know, you don't just wake up in a sinful relationship. You never just wake up shacked up. It started with the one night. I, I, you know, the house is kind of far. Um, it's kind of raining. It's a little cold outside. I didn't bring a jacket. You end up staying one night, and next thing you know, here we are. Some times goes by, Abraham's at home, and three angels show up, and they knock on the tent. I don't know if they knock on a tent. I don't know if there's a door on a tent. but <laughs> And they say, hey, Abraham, we're here to talk to you about something. We have a promise for you. All right, so Abraham and the three angels start talking. They say, hey, you're going to have a child. You're going to have a child named Isaac, and they're there to bless him. So Isaac and them have these conversations, and they recognize that, man, this is going to be an amazing thing. You're about to be blessed beyond measure, Abraham. So they finish their conversation, and then as they're leaving, they tell Abraham this. 
we're going to Sodom to destroy Sodom. And Abraham has a conversation with God where he begins to negotiate with God. He says, God, if there's 50 righteous people in Sodom, if there's 50, would you spare the righteous and the wicked if there's 50 righteous people in Sodom? God says, sure, I'll spare them. Only the mercy of God could say something like that. And then Abraham, being the most incredible negotiator I've ever heard, negotiates God down from 45 to 40 to 30 to 20 to 10. I mean, if this guy's going to buy a used car from you, you, you ain't making no money. Just letting you know. Abraham will crush you. And you have to wonder, what makes a man negotiate down to 10? Why not say one, Abraham? And I'm thinking that he, he knows Lot's there. Abraham knows that his nephew is in Sodom. Abraham knows. It's Lot, Lot's wife, Lot's two kids, Lot's two daughters have to be son-in-law. So he's like, man, there's, there's probably six. I hope, God, I hope Lot shared the word of God with all of those people. That would give us six people, God. And I hope that those six people, God, if they could have just spoken to four people, if they could have just shared the word with four people and given that whole city hope, we could save an entire city. That's how important sharing God's word is. God is letting him whittle it way down to 10, saying, if only 10 people exist. And so the two angels, they leave Abraham. In verse uh, 19.1, it says this. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening. And read this with me. Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. Here's Lot. I want you to follow the, the, how this is going in the Bible. Lot has gone from pitching his tent near Sodom. Lot has moved into Sodom. And now Lot is found at the gate in Sodom, a place of leadership, a place of influence. He sees every single person who comes in and out. He knows what they're doing. How does this happen? How, how, you're walking with the father of faith, and now you're as far spiritually and physically from Abraham as you could possibly be. You know, there's nothing wrong with Lot if Lot was a missionary. Like, man, I'm going to go into Sodom and I'm going to change that city. But if that's what his plan was, Lot is the worst missionary ever. I mean, come on. As a missionary, whenever we leave this country and we're going somewhere, we're going there to preach the word of God. I will leave that city better than I found it. I'm going to preach. People are going to know who God is. I'm going to introduce people to God. I'm going to influence them. We don't see any of that in the Bible when it comes to Lot. So these angels end up spending the night at Lot's house. The men from Sodom surround Lot's house, demand to have relations with the men who are staying at his house. He denies the men, the, the men in his house, but, and says, alternatively, how about you take my two virgin daughters? Who does that? How do you go from walking with Abraham the most righteous man in the world, to offer in the world your two virgin daughters. The story goes on, and ultimately, God tells him, man, you need to leave this place. We're about to destroy this whole city. 
Lot goes back to tell his two son-in-laws, hey, it's time to go, man. Lot's about to destroy this city. Uh, God's about to destroy this city. And they, say, they start laughing. They scoff at him. Couldn't believe. They didn't believe him. He had never had these conversations with them before about the promises of God being yes and amen. God said he's going to do this, boys. We've got to leave. No, we're good. Lot's wife hears from God. God says, hey, on the way out, don't look back. When you're leaving Sodom, do not look back. What's the first thing she does? You will become the salt of the earth one way or the other. Lot's wife gets turned into a brick of salt and done. They end up leaving Sodom. Their end of destination is in a cave. He goes from all these blessings, what he thought was blessings, into a cave and ends up having an ancestral relationship with his daughters and having two kids. God! Doesn't seem like he had a whole lot of reproach in the city. Doesn't seem like he changed the city. It seemed like what? The city changed him. Are you influencing the people around you? Or are the people around you influencing you? That's what we're here for. We're here to be the thermostat, not the thermometer. You look at a man and you see how righteous he was living with his uncle. And now years later, you see a man in leadership in Sodom. What happens to a man? What kind of debilitating disease has taken over? We moved to Columbus, Ohio for a year for Chrissy's education. And so we're out there and uh, I got Matt and I got Caroline. They're both like five, five years old and maybe a few months, something like that for Matt. And I've always kind of looked like this. This has always been my stature. And, and we, we move up there, and I had been working out before we moved over there. And then we move over there, and I kind of forgot about working out. And I found this little thing called an Oreo. <laughs> and all of a sudden, my pantry became Sodom to me. Like, I was just, like, couldn't get close enough to this pantry. And I, so I started eating a lot, of, a lot, a lot of Oreos and didn't go back to the gym. And I'll never forget, I'm doing a FaceTime with my mom who's sitting right there at the front. And this is, you know, new stuff. So we're like, hi, mom, you know, we miss you. And she looks at me and I kind of had this double chin all of a sudden. And she's like, Kev, you, you got kind of big, huh? I'm like, what you talking about? What do, you, what do you mean I got big? I just didn't notice. I, I didn't think about it. I mean, I remember going like to tractor supply or something because my 34s were tight and I wasn't going to buy some nice jeans because I was like, I know I'm not going to be this big forever. So I went to and I bought some 36s and I remember walking out of there. Gosh, I should have got the 38s. I mean, it was just that tight. That's, I had put on like 20 pounds in a year. I mean, it was serious. I was working hard to get that way. I didn't notice. Chrissy didn't say anything. I don't know if she was just being nice or she didn't notice the sin I was getting into either. It was just a lack of conviction in my life. That's all it was. I just had a lack of conviction. My wife fell into it. Kevin, I mean, you know, yeah, he ran in a year. He ate three boxes of Oreos. <laughs> she never said anything. Susanna Wesley told this to her children. She said, take this rule. Whatever weakens your reason, 
impairs the tenderness of your conscience or obscures the sense of God or takes off your relish of spiritual things. She says, in short, whatever increases the strength and authority of your body over your mind, that thing is sent to you however innocent it may be. An Oreo took me out. An Oreo took me out. I was only drinking one beer, two beers sometimes, a couple times a week. I had to give it up. That, as innocent as it was, I could not live with the fact that if my son became an alcoholic, it's because he saw his daddy having one beer a day. Because whatever you do in moderation, your kids are going to do in excess. Do you hear what I'm telling you? And if I'm going to be a man of conviction, I want him to have more conviction than I do. It's just, that's what, don't you want that for your kids? When he was walking with Abraham, he was a man of deep conviction. Then after the split, something changed. We see a difference between the lot who was walking with Abraham and a lot who was walking without Abraham. He just lost that conviction. Today we have the Holy, if you, if you are here and you're saved, you have this Holy Spirit. You have this convicting agent inside of you. Not a condemning agent. Don't confuse the two. It's a convicting agent that says, no, don't. My first question is, how sensitive are you to this Holy Spirit? What is it that's desensitizing you? Because that, that, that's what life is about, is the nose. I see these people who like don't speak a lot. And I'm like, why not? I say a lot of stupid things. Why don't you? And they're like, no, I'm, I'm convicted by my words. I'm convicted by my thoughts, and I just I don't say those things. When I say things, I'm polite. When I say things, it's, uh, it's encouraging. And I'm like, I want to do that. <laughs> I want to do that. It's just it's a beautiful thing. You know, you see Pastor Yu up here. You see a man who walks in conviction. You see a man who is sensitive to the Holy Spirit. He listens to something. There is something in him that he hears, and it starts with the H, and it's called the, the Heidi Reisner. <laughs> and when she's gone, he falls off the wagon. Like it's, it's, I'm like, Miss Heidi, please come back to church. Hey, that man has no conviction. But I get the privilege to walk with he and Pastor Jacob together side by side, and I see them behind the closed doors, and I hear the conversations that they have. And I see two men who walk in conviction and say, no, we're not doing that. You know, the old saying, distance makes the heart grow. Distance from God makes your heart grow dim. Your little light ain't shining as much as it used to be, baby. The crazy part is the rest of the world sees it. I know when her little light is not shining as bright as it was. I've seen it, what it's capable of. So that's number one. Are you sensitive to the Holy Spirit? Number two, who's the Abraham in your life? Is there a man that's walking with you? Is there a woman that's walking with you in your life that can encourage you and tell you no? Someone who you can look at and say, I want to be like that. That's who I want to be. If I had to pick a son, if I had to pick where my son would go, if something happened to me and Matthew's got to follow a man, that's the man I want him to follow. Do you have one of those in your life? We have men's freedom groups. 
We have small groups. We have serve teams. We have a women's Bible study with 500 women. If you can't find one woman of God in the house of 500 women, we did something wrong. Lot thought he was stronger than Sodom. You know, we all think we are. You know, baby, that ain't going to influence me, girl. I'm a big boy. But the Bible says this. It says, bad company corrupts good character. When you wonder why God put that in there purposefully, thinking about Lot, bro. Romans 12, 2. Why would God put that in there? Don't conform to the patterns of this world. Why not? Because when you're outside of this place and you go offshore for 30 days, that's Sodom. Who are you when you're offshore for 30 days? Are you the same man raising your hand and praising God here as you were when you're in 30 days over there? Who are you in the football stands when everybody's cheering and then they're calling the ref stupid? And Are you jumping in with them? Or are you sitting there quietly thinking, oh my goodness, where is this going to go? Who are you at the salon? I ain't leaving you out, ladies. Who are you at the salon? You thought y'all thought y'all was going to get away, huh? That dude ain't touching the ladies tonight. Or are you in that group chat, which is so easy, in the comfort of your home, in the recliner, and just gossiping about somebody. Well, you're not gossiping. We need to pray for so-and-so. <laughs> not that funny. <laughs> you know, you never drift into spiritual maturity. It's never an accident. You never see somebody who says, man, how did you end up this way? How did you end up so mature? Well, I stopped reading my Bible about three or four years ago. I don't go to church. I ain't got nobody connected to him. I just sit here and drink my coffee and watch the news and somehow, it's never happened. You have to be connected. There's got to be some conviction in you, something inside of you, a discipline, a disciple that says, no, I need to be mature. Because you know why? Because sin is sexy. Sin is probably the sexiest thing you'll ever see. It's just the way it is. You are drawn to it, no matter what it is. The grass is always greener on the other side. It always is. And usually it's on top of a sewer plant. And when you get on it, you're like, man, this is nasty. I'm just telling you, it's the way it's going to be. It's a sewer plant. Don't trust it. The worst part is that this next generation, we're growing up with Sodom in our pockets. You got this phone in your pocket. You ain't got to go to Sodom no more. I mean, it shows up on, on, by accident. Proverbs 14, 12 says this. It says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. And for Sodom, that was his death. That was Lot's death. What do you notice in Abraham's life that's never mentioned in Lot's life? Lot only built wealth but never altars. Lot thought going to Sodom was a beautiful thing that he was going to get a lot of wealth there. Because that's what sin does. Sin makes you believe if you're going to go there, you're going to prosper. It's, it's what it is. You really think you're going to prosper there. Lot never worshipped apart from Uncle Abraham. 
Lot never built an altar, never sacrificed anything. Abraham, four altars. Altars were all these places of sacrifice and of worship. Things where you go to bring things to die, bring things to God, and you cut the head off and say, no, I don't want this anymore, God. Please take this away from me. He never did that. It's impossible to neglect worship. That's why Pastor Myron did such a good job today. It's worship that brings you closer to God. It's this, what were you created to do? Worship. When you worship, things will die and things will come to life in your life, in your marriage, in your kids. Number three, are you building altars in your life? Are you still worshiping? Are you still sacrificing? Have the relish for God fallen off? Is, is God not as shiny as he used to be? Are Sunday mornings, I guess we'll go. Probably haven't worshiped enough to get there. Are you in a freedom group? You know, when the Bible talks about confessions, it says this, he says, confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. There are a lot of people that are sick in this world. There's a lot of Christians that are just good people, but we're just sick. It's, it's because we don't confess to one another. And, and the devil wants you to believe that you're the only one who's doing it. So if I confess, I'm gonna, they're going to look down on me. No, I'm the same thing. I wish you could have seen the thoughts I had in my head before I got on this stage to talk to you. But the confessions to one another is what heals people. It's that altar where you come to, where you come and you stand up here and the prayer partners are here and you say, I just, I have to get this off of my chest. And not one of these prayer partners is going to condemn you. They won't. They're going to encourage you. They're going to put their hand on you. If you start crying, they're going to cry with you because they've been there. That's what made them a prayer partner. You understand? In 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 6 through 8, it says this. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as the righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the uh, godly from trials. You know, the most miserable person in the world is a half-committed Christian who's just enough in the world to be miserable with God, but just enough in God to be miserable in the world. It's just it's a bad place to be. That's why he says, I don't want you to be lukewarm. You either hate me or love me. Be one of those two. You'll be happier both ways. We go back to Lot when he's leaving Sodom. In Genesis 19, verses 15 and 16, he says this. He says, As the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. Read this with me. But he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out and set him outside the city. Lot lingered. Lot lingered. It was 
difficult for him to leave the sin that he was in. It is. It's just difficult, man. I see the guys on the pills. I've, I've had many conversations. Man, I'm just addicted to Lartab. I'm like, well, just stop taking them. It's easy for me to say. Of course it's easy for you to say. You're not addicted to Lartabs. But God's going to put somebody in your life like me, like somebody in your small groups that can go down there and grab you by the hand and say, get your out of there. Because that's what we're called to do. I want to snatch you out of your sin when you're lingering in it. I don't want you to linger in it. I pray that we never become so enamored with our culture that it takes angels to drag us out of it. Lot did the things he did because he chose to live in just an old sinful nature. Just do what's easy. Just go ahead with the flow of the city of Sodom. And he made the choices to flirt with evil instead of honoring God. And more often than not, I probably act a lot like Lot. I'm troubled by the sin I see around me. And far too often I respond to the sin the same way he does. I mean, there are days like when somebody sneezes and I'm saying, God bless you, I just say, bless you. You know, I mean, I'm super warm, like, bless you. Like, why not say God, Kevin? What's stopping you from saying God bless you in public? I don't know. It's just, I'm okay with it some days. I just get. A lot lingered when his world was ending. God was destroying the world that he was in. I want to tell you this, that God is destroying this world. This world is coming to an end, and everything that you've built all the things you think you have are going to burn up. And when he comes here to get us and he sticks his hand out and says, come, he doesn't want you lingering. He doesn't want you looking back and say, oh, I think this place might be better. He doesn't want that. There's got to be a necessary ending between you and your sin. In 2 Peter, we go back to that passage. You say, I, I don't know what to do. I'm stuck in it. I'm stuck in Sodom. God hadn't seen anybody. There's not a man in my life. There's not a woman in my life who can get me out of this sin in my life. That's a lie. 2 Peter chapter 2, that verse. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from the trials. If you're here today, godly people get attacked by Satan and you get stuck in sin. It's just the way it is. You're not perfect. But there's a chance today to get out of that. You can come and you can pray. You can ask these guys in the front. Confess that sin that you might be healed. But he doesn't want you lingering. I just want you, if you pull out of this parking lot today and you get on that service road and you don't look right and you get T-boned, where do you go? I don't want you to have to question that. If you're here today and you don't know Christ, if you don't have that Savior that can pull you out, that's why he's called a Savior, to pull you out in those instances. If you don't know him, I'm going to give you an opportunity here in a minute. 
It's got to be something difficult, huh? It's got to be difficult. It's not. It's, it's faith. It's as easy as A, B, or C. A, just admitting that you are a sinner. Admitting you have been living in Sodom and you need somebody to pull you out. B, believing that God did send two angels to Sodom and sent his son to you to die on the cross. And C, confessing that he is your Savior. That you do realize that he is the one that was sent to the cross for you to get you out of Sodom. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you, if you're here today and you say, man, I don't know Christ. And I don't want to be caught lingering. It's not this prayer that's going to save your life. It's the belief in this prayer and with the words that you're going to come out of your mouth. This is those words and the belief in your heart that saved you. If that's you here today, just repeat after me. Say, Dear Jesus, I believe. I believe that you sent your son, Jesus, to the cross for me. Father, forgive my sins. I repent. Father, I confess that your son is my savior. You sent him to the cross for me. Three days later, he rose from the dead. Give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with the father. So today, I turn from my sin to be born again. Today, God is my father. Jesus is my savior. And the Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is now my home. Amen. Well, thank you. If you need to talk to someone, our prayer team will be here. Um, I'll be out in the far if you need to speak. Uh, if everybody will get to your feet, we'll bless y'all and send y'all to Mama's Fried Chicken. <laughs> y'all ready? All right. Let's lift your hands. Father, I thank you for this people today, Father. I pray that as they go, that you would bless their ways, Father. Everything that they put their hands to, seeking first the kingdom, Father, that you would bless it. Father, stir something up in their hearts. Stir conversations up in this car on the way home, that they would have conversations and confess to one another. Let there be healing in these hearts, healing in these vehicles on the way home. Let them preach their own sermon next weekend whenever they get back here, Father. Let them have uh, testimonies about what God did. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen.